The sound of a deer bouncing off the front of a train is a sound you will never forget. Coming up on the Anti-Woke Podcast. Slate Money was saying something interesting about investments. And it was kind of in the context of talking about the crypto crisis, but it was more general. And so according to Felix, the, the main guy, he was saying that, you know, you, you don't invest in crypto. You don't invest in gold. You don't invest in comic books or sports cards. And these in this podcast, it's three journalists who write about economic matters for a living. And I would say that two out of the three were like, what? Buying gold isn't an investment? Then what is an investment? I mean, first off, a word means whatever you think it means. You know, if you say I'm investing in gold, I mean, we know what you mean, and that's fine. And so Felix would say, you're not investing in gold. You're just buying some gold. I mean, you can buy whatever you want. You know, you're, you can buy some crypto. You can't invest in crypto. So what is the difference, according to him? It's cash flow. Are you putting into something that makes money? Then that's an investment. So stocks, you're buying into a company that, you know, that they're trying, they're making money. At least the idea is you're buying into a company that makes money. So you get to own some of the, the company and also that company makes money that, you know, they either give it to you directly or with dividends or they, you know, maybe buy back the stock to make the price go up. But, you know, you, you, you are trying to get that, some of that money. You have an expectation that you will get some of the money that that company makes, you know, right now or possibly in the future. And buying a house is an investment. You can look at it a few different ways, but, you know, one thing you can do if you buy a house is you can rent it out and make money. And then you own the house and you're getting money, you know, every week or every month in rent. And so just yesterday, I was talking about the comic book that I bought five years ago for $1,500 on eBay. And I could sell it today on for $5,000 on eBay if I wanted to. And I don't know if I thought it was an investment, whatever. I was just collecting comics, but... I think it's just a good way of looking at it is basically it's gambling. Buying gold is gambling that the price of gold will go up. And obviously the same for collectibles and crypto. And then what about derivatives? I mean, most normal people don't deal in derivatives, but what about them? Well, it's a form of gambling, but it has a purpose. Like maybe a better purpose than just pure gambling. You know, it's better, you know, you don't invest in a lottery ticket, for instance, although... They always say that, you know, whenever in Oregon we have a state lottery, whenever there's an advertisement for it, at the end of the thing they have a disclaimer saying, do not use this for investment purposes. But the classic example of using derivatives is like a farmer who grows corn. And farming is a feast or famine type of industry where you make a ton of money this year and then, you you know, there's a drought and you don't make any money the next year, etc. And so what you want to do is you want to even it out. You want, to, you want to pay some of your money in the good years to even out the bad years. And so that's what derivatives are for. I mean, they got a bad name, probably deservedly, deservedly so, for causing uh, the 2008 financial crisis, where people went a little too crazy with their derivatives. But they do have a purpose when used correctly. It's like what a farmer does is you grow all the corn you can, and then you make a bet. You gamble, but it's called a derivative, and you gamble that the price of corn is going to go way down. And then either you're sitting on a whole bunch of corn that makes you money, or if the price, or if it all goes to shit, you just you you won your bet where you said the price is going to go down. So that's derivatives. And so you know, like I said, um, investments are things that have cash flow and make money, and then the rest of it is just some form of gambling. You know, it's a nasty word to put on there, but it really makes you understand what you're doing. 
it's gambling. And so Felix's example was it's a zero sum game. And he says, like, you know, he has a weekly poker party. And so every time they go play poker, you know, each person brings a certain amount of money. But the, the amount of money never grows. It just changes hands. Like, you, you might win all the money, but then everyone else lost that exact same money. So, you know, at the end of the poker night, there's the exact same amount of money leaving the party as there was entering the party. And so that's how derivatives also are, you know, for every dollar that you make on a derivative, some other person just lost a dollar on, you know, on that same derivative. They were betting against you. Uh, I'm going to steal their information from the numbers round on the podcast. Uh, 20%. That's the amount that house prices have gone down in Florida for houses that are less than six feet above the ocean. I mean, those are the best houses, but I think you can imagine why people are a little skeptical of buying them now. And then 23% is the amount that Haley in a cab in Manhattan or New York is going to cost more. And it's not the inflation. Uh, it's the first price increase in 10 years. And so the interesting part is that apparently taxi cabs have gotten cheaper than Uber and Lyft. But now they're going to be the same or more expensive. And the third number is 60,000, which is the number of train conductors and engineers who are going to vote on whether or not they should strike. It's, you know, it's the union. And I think there's 12 unions related to the railroads. More than half of them are just the train conductors and engineers. There's, that's two of the unions, but they have more than half the people. Some of the other unions that do whatever have voted to strike, or actually to turn down the deal that's been offered, not necessarily to strike. If you, say, if you turn down the deal, then you got to wait a month or something, and then you can strike. But something like 40% of everything that you buy and everything that's shipped around America is done on trains, so it would be a big deal if that stuff stopped, and it would be like right in time for Christmas. And like the airline, what were they called? The air traffic controllers striked in the 80s, and then Ronald Reagan said, you have to keep working. And so I don't know if that's all unions, the government can tell him, sorry, <laughs> sorry, you got to take the deal. Um, but anyways, the trains are another one. The government can say, sorry, you got to take the deal. The government can say that if they want. I mean, unions pay a lot of money to the Democrats, probably in the hopes that, hey, you're not going to make us take a bad deal. Let us get all that we want. And they're not really striking over money. I mean, actually, money is very important. But not only is it money, but what they want is better working conditions. Like, I have a friend who's a train conductor. Basically, there's two people on a freight train. The whole, you know, giant, a mile-long freight train has two workers on it. There's the engineer and the conductor, and they both sit at the front of the train. And in the old days, the conductor went down and, like, you know, stamped each person's ticket or whatever. But now a conductor is just an extra worker to run a train. And I'm sure, you know, he would take extra money, just like anyone would, but... um what he wants is to be able to not work when he feels like it. Well, and in fact, he he took, he he works in the yard now. I mean, he has he has little kids. His kids are quite small, maybe like five or something. And uh, he was doing these long haul things where he'd go from Portland to Seattle, and then you know they'd put him up in a hotel room in Seattle, and then he'd come back from Portland or Seattle back to Portland, and it would take like three days or something. He'd have to be away three days at a time. Maybe getting paid the whole time, making good money. 
But he said, you know, it's not the money, it's the lifestyle. And so now he works in the yard, just moving trains around a little bit here, a little bit there, or whatever. I don't even know what they do. Whatever they do in the yard. I think I've mentioned this. Uh, it's called lay, lay, laying it down, laying the train down, laying it down, something like that. Anyways, that's when a train goes off the rails. And it actually happens quite a bit. Now, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't happen out in the open at high speeds. But what happens is they take all the old train track and all the old, whatever you call those, the wood part that goes underneath it, just whatever. All the stuff that goes into building a track. When it gets old, they take it away from the high speed, you know, long distance parts and they put it in the um, yard. And then sometimes that stuff gets rotten or whatever and fails. And then the train goes off the rails in the yard at a slow speed. And also... People commit suicide by jumping in front of trains more often than you would think. And you get two days paid psychiatric leave or whatever anytime your train hits a person. And my buddy's never hit a person, but it's actually pretty common. But sometimes he hits deer, and he's like, the sound of a deer bouncing off the front of a train is a sound you will never forget. Twitter handle, at Anti-Woke Podcast, and thanks for listening.